la tiene Marabona, lo marcan dos, pisa la pelota Marabona, arranca por la brecha el genio del fútbol mundial, y es el tercero a tocar para Borrachaga, siempre Marabona, genio, 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 ta, 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 ta. Well, it happened again. It happened again. I do not imagine any of my regular listeners will be interested in this episode, but I am just recording it for myself, actually. For myself and for something maybe to look back on in years to come, because England blew it again. In the most painful, most painful possible way, as usual penalties, losing on penalties, which is a terrible way to see your team lose a final. If you're just an England supporter, you'll never have seen this before, actually. England have never lost a final on penalties. They've only been to one final before in their entire history, their entire history of the national team. Um, and, or at least <laughs> a major tournament final of the senior team um, but that's kind of all that matters and of course by saying that I'm also implying that it's the men's team which of course it's the men's team I think the women's team have been rather more successful generally speaking but when it comes down to it the football that I grew up on was this was watching England failing in the most tragic of circumstances and I kind of want to go back over those those moments because they're all meaningful to me um, and they're meaningful because I guess because I cared it's it's painful when you care I always said to my friends who who don't support a club team who just support England that I've always said to them I don't get it I, I actually don't I, I don't understand how you can do that because all you're going to have as an England fan is crushing disappointment. You kind of know that. That's what you're signing up for. At least if you support a club team, you've got a chance, no matter how small, of winning something. And there's plenty of things to win. And I've been... I got lucky, I guess, when I was young. I was born and brought up in North London. And so there was only a choice, really, of two clubs. One was Tottenham, one was Arsenal. And I chose Arsenal because I like red. And... Um, over the years, Arsenal have won a lot of things. You know, they're pretty shit at the moment, but they'll come back. They'll be they'll be good again um, one day. But, man, I've seen some amazing stuff. I've seen some wonderful, wonderful victories and, and um, trophies and an unbridled joy. But if, if you don't have a club, and I think a lot of people in England only really support the national team, they're not that into football it's it's kind of like other sports for most people it's like the olympics everyone's into the olympics but no one goes and watches um um you know batley harriers in the uh, in the pouring rain on a, on a march a night in march you know you know, people don't do that um it's the same with the tennis like people watch wimbledon but they don't watch roland garros or or you know the other circuits i suppose you know obviously there are dedicated fans who will watch everything but most people do not and it's the same with the england team so 
it's all about World Cups, which is strange because obviously this was a Euro. The Euro, uh, it's a strange thing, the European Championship, because, because on a objective level, the quality of the teams, the overall quality of the teams is better because the majority of the best teams in the world are European. And a lot of the mediocre and weak teams come from outside of Europe. So at a World Cup, you'll see a lot of bad teams, quite a significant number of bad teams. And, and frankly, there's only two teams outside of Europe who really have a chance of winning, winning the World Cup. And that's, and that's Brazil and Argentina. And Argentina, until very, very recently, i.e. yesterday, <laughs> they hadn't won anything in in a ridiculous amount of time uh, was it 28 years they hadn't won anything and Argentina are a fantastic team they've got poss probably the best probably the best player of all time I don't know it's very it's, it's, it's a big debate but you know Messi is probably uh, him okay well Messi but the only person who probably you could say was better than him was Maradona and Maradona also an Argentinian so Argentina have had the best players in the world at many at several times in the history but they haven't won a lot of stuff either um but my very first and, and this isn't really a memory it's more like a recollection of some later later like tv or whatever because the first world cup that i would have been genuinely conscious of was the 1978 world cup which if memory corrects me and i'm this is this is where i'm blurry I, it was in argentina and argentina won it I think I'm pretty sure, but you know, I was I was nine years old and I wasn't into football at that point. I, I only really started becoming aware of football when I was about ten or eleven, and um, the very first game that meant anything to me uh, was the um, was the I can't remember what year it was. I think it was the seventy nine or eighty. Anyway, it was the FA Cup final where Arsenal beat Man United, and and that was the very and and, I, and I, let me let me work this out. I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I was ten years old, or was I eleven? Anyway, it was either seventy nine or eighty. God, I, I'm it's embarrassing. I think it was seventy nine. So really, the seventy eight World Cup kind of happened, and and I think it was. It was it was culturally significant because Argentina was an interesting country at the time. We, I think, we were only like two years away from being in a war with them over the Falkland Islands. But then there was the whole Evita musical thing. Don't cry for me, Argentina. There was something intensely, intensely exotic and romantic about Argentina. But the first World Cup that I was really aware of was the 1982 World Cup. That happened. That was in Spain. And I had, we had the Ladybird, <laughs> we had the Ladybird book of World Cup Spain. So this was, you know, when you're that age, you look at these things, these like books and things in this very different way. They, they're these precious artifacts. It's almost like gaming books from when we were young. It's not so much that they were more magical inherently, but our perception of them was magical. We saw them through, through magical eyes because they had mystery to them and so looking at this ladybird book of world cup and seeing you know all these teams from countries that i hadn't some i hadn't heard of like like iran where was iran i think iran were in the 1982 world cup i think they even won a game anyway i can't, can't remember the details but then it had all the stadiums all the stadiums in spain you know bilbao 
um, Barcelona, Real, uh, well, the Real Madrid, the Bernabeu, Bernabeu. We also we used to call it the Bernabeu, but it's uh, Bernabeu. Um, the well, now now camp, I believe, is how you pronounce it in Catalan. But the, we called it the new camp, new camp. Um, where else? I guess Atletico Madrid Stadium might have been used. Sevilla's Stadium, probably. Um, I don't know. Malaga, maybe. I don't know if Malaga would Stadium would have been used. Probably not. Um, where else? Yeah. So anyway, these exotic cities in Spain and Spain was still pretty exotic back then. Package tourism to Spain hadn't been around that long. So yeah, and yeah, of course, England. England went out. <laughs> England didn't. England did really badly. They didn't have much of a team, um, and and they did. They they actually went out without losing a game, which I suppose is what happened this time around. It's it's they it was a weird setup. I think there was there were groups but you didn't play everyone in the group or something. I think you only played two out of the, anyway. The World Cup AC went went by in a flash. The the memories, the abiding memory, the abiding memory was Harold Schumacher, the German goalkeeper, running out and and basically almost killing was it Patrick Battiston? The French forward, the French player was running with the ball on in on goal, probably about to score. And Harold Schumacher, this blonde, curly-haired demon <laughs> of a German goalkeeper, came out and basically poleaxed him. I think he broke his neck or smashed out a couple of his teeth. It was brutal, and he didn't get sent off. I don't even know. He did. <laughs> I think that you know that was given as a foul, but he didn't get sent off. It was unreal. I think that was the moment of the tournament. But but really, the the, the abiding memory, um, the abiding memory was um, Paolo Rossi, Paolo Rossi for the Azzurri, for the Italians, for the Italians, our slayers. He was this romantic kind of haunted figure who had had a very up and down career, I think, and. Maybe he'd been dropped from the team, but he he scored all the goals. He scored all the goals. He scored four or five goals in in that in that World Cup, and he won and he won the World Cup for Italy in 1982. Beat the Germans. The whole world wanted Italy to win because of that Harold Schumacher thing, taking out the the beautiful French. Ah. <sighs> So that was 82. And it was fine because England had gone out early and no one cared and they had a pretty average team and I can't even remember any of their stars. I didn't think they had any stars. Well, they they had Kevin Keegan and they had Brian Robson. And Brian Robson got injured. Brian Robson always used to get injured. He was our kind of our best player, I suppose. The captain, the hero, tough guy. Played for Manchester United. Always used to get injured in the World Cup. So, fast forward... 1986, the hand of God. Maradona cheated his way to the first goal and then scored the greatest goal of all time. England got one back, but it was too late. It was too late. We were beaten by by fate and by brilliance and by chicanery and by the mercurial genius the tragic mercurial genius of Diego Maradona. And that was a tournament where we learnt about a brilliant young English striker called Gary Lineacre. 
Gary Lineker. And that won't mean anything to anyone. Um, his name's Lineker. But all, one of the things I remember was uh, an English commentator from the from the West Country. Uh, he was, uh, oh, what the hell was his name? He was quite famous. So he used to play for England from the West Country. And he called it that boy Lineker. That boy Lineker. Uh, he's good. you got to watch him. And he got the golden boot because he scored a lot of goals, but it wasn't enough. Not enough to beat Maradona. Yeah, so that was 86. And it was Mick Shannon. Mick Shannon, from, uh, who played for Southampton and England. Uh, that boy, Lineker. I, I think it became a bit of a thing that he couldn't pronounce Lineker's name. I certainly found it funny. So, 88, Euro 88. Not really much to write home about for England, but bloody hell, Marco Van Basten. He took England to pieces and then probably scored the second best goal ever scored <laughs> in a in an international tournament. So, you know, Maradona's was first, but Marco Van Basten against Russia. Uh, I, I'm not going to try and describe it. Anyone that knows football will know that goal. It's burnished into the memory. <laughs> probably the most outrageous technique. Probably only equalled or even approachingly equal by Dennis Bergkamp a few years later, also for the Netherlands. Anyway, roll on. Italia 90. Italy seems to be a theme here, doesn't it? So, England. Oh, England. Again, sluggish start, struggled to get out the group. I think they beat Morocco in the final group game to get through. I can't remember. Anyway... Not memorable. Not memorable. Um, but then things seemed to change. Things seemed to accelerate. They played Cameroon. Cameroon? Are they any good at football? Well, they had they had beaten Argentina in the first game. You know, the defending champions. What did they draw? I can't remember. Anyway, they definitely did something amazing against 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 Argentina, and they had a forty-one-year-old player, Roger Miller. He he wasn't the one that scored. I think it was Oman Biek. I can't remember the name of the guy. Anyway, um, someone who oh, it was wonderful seeing these exotic exotic. That's not a good word to use, but seeing these teams that you weren't aware of and and just under, learning about them and their players. It's all part of this experience. Anyway, England beat Cameroon, probably quite luckily. Gary Lineker scoring again. Then, then, quarterfinal against Belgium. A totally forgettable match. Um, one in the last minute of extra time with an amazing goal from England. One of the probably best England goals in a, in a tournament until, until, well, a few years later. But anyway, um, 1990. David Platt, 119th minute, overhead bicycle kick, boom, Belgian done. And then, of course, the old enemy, Germany. <sighs> and this is where our troubles began. I'm not sure if that was the first penalty shootout England had ever been in, but it was certainly the most painful. There's been books written about it. There's, there's a TV play about it called An Evening with Gary Lineker. And, yeah, we played Germany. And we were better. I think we were the better team. They got an incredibly lucky goal 
was it Rumeniga, Brightner? I don't know. Someone, Bremer, Andy Bremer. I don't know. They had a great team, but free kick hit the wall, very powerfully hit, and it just looped up, looped, 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 looped up, right over Peter Shilton, and he couldn't, and he was just running backwards and falling over, and he couldn't get it. So unlucky, total fluke. And then we huffed and puffed, and then Gaza's tears. He got a yellow card that meant he was going to be out of the final. And he cried. And those moments when Gaza cried and when Gary Lineker pointed to the bench and pointed to Gascoigne and, and said, he's gone, he's gone. That was, I think, the moment when everyone fell in love with England. It, it's weird. It's hard to... Well, not everyone, most people hate England, but uh, if you had any soul, any compassion, you would feel for that young genius who's so who's so thrown his life away, Paul Gascoigne. And he threw away the final. And he played he played brilliantly. Lineker had equalised by that point, I think. Was it after that? Anyway, scored a brilliant equaliser. And then, of course, it was penalties. And then, of course, we lost. Nessun Dorma. That was... That was a really important World Cup for, I think, for the country. It showed that England could play. I think that was a stimulus for Badil and Skinner and Ian Brodie writing Three Lions. I think it was that World Cup. Because we, we were the, the equals of Germany. Germany who, who then went on to win. They beat Argentina in a very boring final, which I never saw. The reason I never saw it is I was in East Africa. So I, me and my brother, we watched that semi-final loss, the penalties loss to Germany in a hut surrounded by Kenyans in East Africa, or in Kenya, obviously. And everyone in that room, apart from us, was supporting Germany for some reason. To this day, I still don't quite know why they were all supporting Germany. I think it was probably because we beat Cameroon in the previous in the previous round, or two rounds before, whatever. Um, so, you know, love thy neighbour and all that. Well, that was 1990. Little did we know that that was pretty much pretty much going to set the set the template forevermore Euro 92 we went out to Sweden on the night of a general election where Ian, where Neil Kinnock was all set to win because everyone was thinking we've had enough of Thatcher turns out we hadn't had enough of Thatcher what am I talking about Thatcher had hold on no, no, that was... I'm confused. I'm confused. Thatcher... Thatcher had already left by then, hadn't she? I can't remember. I gave my dates. Well, I, I think she'd been forced to resign by then. So everyone was thinking, Labour's going to win. Neil Kinnock's going to win. And, and of course, they lost. And, and then and England lost to Brolin's genius for Sweden. And I think I was very uh, stoned that, that night watching it. Um... And I and I was pretty sure that well England took the lead as usual and then lost. And I was sure that England were doing really well, but then they weren't. So ninety four didn't qualify. DNQ. How humiliating! That's like the bad old bad old days. England didn't qualify. I think 
I think they were in the group with Netherlands again in, in the qualifiers. Anyway, they should have. Uh, USA 94 was not a great World Cup. It was quite good. I don't know. World Cup's coming back here in uh, five years' time. I didn't think... I didn't think... Certainly in 94, it wasn't the right time to have a World Cup in the US. I don't, you know, they didn't feel right. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I don't think anyone in the US cared one way or the other, to be honest. But people went. People obviously travelled to see the games. And yeah, final was really boring. And, and then uh, Brazil... Brazil won, I think. I can't even remember. I think Brazil won 1-0. Um... I'm being mean. There were some good games. Anyway, 96. Roll on. 96. This was the one where I became twinned with a certain Mr. D. Badil. At the time, we looked quite similar because we were both younger. I think I've aged worse than he has, but at least I'm thinner than him now. So that's one thing in the plus column. But Every time we went into a pub to watch a game, it was, it was, oi, Badil. And at first I would just hide my head. And then eventually I thought, fuck it, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to own this. And I'd go out out to them and say, all right, lads, keep it down. I'm just trying to keep a low profile. And they'd look at me with this sort of confusion. Because on one level they knew I wasn't Badil. But then maybe I was and what was I doing in a pub in northwest London? <laughs> anyway, that was a roller coaster of a tournament. That was probably the best England goal. It was the best England there was the best England game probably and the best England goal. So the best England game was thumping Netherlands, who had so often humiliated us. I think we beat them 4-1, I can't remember. Brilliant goals by Shearer and Anderson, I think. I can't remember. But it was the goal that Gascoigne scored against Scotland. That will live forever in the eternal replays of the mind. That peroxide blonde nut job scampering through, taking the ball on the volley, flicking it over the head of the defender, going to the other side and just slotting it home. I mean, it was outrageous. The technique was unbelievable. And then the celebration. (laughs) Because back then... The England players were a bunch of louts. The celebration was something called the dentist chair. As Gascoigne slid to the turf, arms outstretched, one of his uh, teammates came over with a water bottle and squirted it into his mouth as he opened his mouth and let the liquids flow down. That was something they did, usually with vodka or brandy, on their big nights out. My God, the game has changed in the last 25 years. Nowadays, I can't even imagine they even have a little taste of beer or wine. I mean, they're all a bunch of very clean living young boys. Too too young, I would say. But, yeah. And, of course, we lost to Germany on penalties. Another game we should have won. Another game we should have won. I think we hit a post... And I think uh, Gas- and Gascoigne, again, was, he was like a stud's length away from, from sliding in and scoring the winning goal. But no, not to be. And this time, of course, it wasn't Waddle and Pierce missing the penalties. It was our current manager, Gareth Southgate. And thus began the tragic legend of Gareth Southgate. And then I'm going to skip forward 25 years. 
because pretty much everything in that last 25 years, after those moments of hope, those semi-finals, and being good enough to get to the final, everything since then has been awful. More or less pretty much awful, with the odd glimmer, the odd Michael Owen, the odd David Beckham, the odd... Well, I can't even think of any other high, high points of goals scored or excitement. But yeah, well, not quite 25 years, because what happened in 2018 was surreal, weird, unexpected. Gareth Southgate had been made England manager by accident. Sam Allardyce, Aladici, he had been uh, done up like a kipper. He'd only been in charge for one game when he got caught in a sting operation from a British newspaper taking a bribe. Yeah, well, we all knew Allardyce was a dodgy geezer, but come on, mate. You've only just got the job. <laughs> so he was out. Chaos reigned. Where were we going? We'd had Ericsson. We'd, we'd, had, we'd had Sven Goran Ericsson. We'd had Malcolm McLaren. Not Malcolm McLaren. We'd had... Um, <laughs> Steve McLaren. No, I did that on purpose. It would have been, I think Malcolm McLaren would have made a better football manager than Steve McLaren. That's how bad Steve McLaren was. At least Malcolm would have put a bit of spunk in it, wouldn't he? Yeah? I, I, I tell you what, I think Johnny, John Lydon would have made a better England, England manager. Johnny Rotten. Yeah. So anyway, Gareth comes in. We all call him Gareth now, of course, because... He's just so lovely, isn't he? He's so lovely. He's so lovely, is our Gareth. We've got to call him Gareth. He's the loveliest England manager since, what's that, Terry Vegetables go, bloke? Oh, what that, but, uh, but Bonnie, oh, Bonnie Robson. Bobby Robson. Oh, lovely Bobby Robson. A bit senile, but a lovely man. Lovely man. Anyway, we now have a lovely man in charge who, for some reason, decided we don't need arrogant, asshole prima donna cocksuckers in the team. It's like, it's like... Well, how did he come to that conclusion? How about putting in hard-working, talented young players who play with no fear and actually can learn how to play in a system? Funny. Funny that. Funny that. I would never thought of that before. But anyway, 2018, very surprising. There were, the, of course, there were dodgy moments, but I think it was the, was it 6-1 we beat? Um, someone, <laughs> Costa Rica, was it Costa, I can't remember, we beat a Central or South American team 6-1, which was, was it Uruguay, I, could, I don't, can't remember, that was, that was the moment when you thought, hang on a minute, this isn't the script, England don't do this, England struggled to beat Morocco, and then we won a penalty shootout against Colombia, fucking hell, what's going on? Then Sweden, another bogey team. Remember? They put us out of Euro 92. Completely dominated them, dispatched them. And then it's the semi-final. And that was where the wheels came off. This seems to be the pattern now for us. Dominate early, take a lead, then freak the fuck out because we're winning in a semi-final and then just let the opposition slowly, slowly torture us to death as they tighten the grip in midfield and that's pretty much what happened yesterday in the final now Italy didn't Italy didn't win but they probably should have because we didn't commit we didn't create a single chance after we scored in 
in the second minute of the game. And my God, that but 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 let's let's be real. England played magnificently in this tournament. They really did. They are coming of age. They are giving us all hope, regardless of the awfulness of the England fans and, and all the horrible shit that's been going on with the racism and the violence and you know, breaking into Wembley and causing civil disturbances and, and just all the horrible shit that we know England fans just do as a matter of course. We're never going to get away from that. That is part of the British psyche. Um, it's actually admired by some people. <laughs> the warrior spirit. What was it? Someone on another podcast was talking about an African uh, friend who was who loved England's warrior spirit. The fact that they fight. I mean, it, it puts it in a different perspective, but I don't like it. And I don't think most of us like it. <sighs> it's impotent, really, isn't it? It doesn't achieve anything. Maybe it makes them feel better. But going in and smashing up an Italian you know, who's just celebrated them scoring a goal. That doesn't do anything, really, except hurt another human being. So I guess it makes you feel better. Maybe you've got, you've got nothing else in your life, and that's the only thing to make you feel better. Because a football ain't going to do it, mate, is it? No, because no matter how great England were in that tournament, and no matter how fantastic they were in the first... 30 to 40 minutes of that game and they were fantastic it was like they suddenly realized where they were they were there in class standing up front in front of the teacher and realizing they don't have any pants on and so the tourniquet twisted again and we we inched closer to the worst ending possible the penalties and then the tears well i don't cry anymore i cry, i cried in 86 I definitely cried in 86 after the hand of God, and I cried again in 90, um, but not anymore, no. And look, football means a lot to me. It doesn't mean what it used to mean to me. And I sometimes think that's great because you don't need to be so invested in something. At the same time, feeling those highs, those feelings of exaltation, as something that's pretty rare. You don't get that in many other aspects of your life. No, I think it's because other successful moments don't come in such a rush. They seem to, they take a bit more time so you process them differently. Whereas in football, it's, the clock is ticking down and you're losing and then you win and you can't replicate that. And we go forward the World Cup, next World Cup, is only 18 months away. It's going to be in Qatar in November due to FIFA corruption, basically, which has not been eradicated with the removal of Sepp Blatter. I think Michel Platini is equally corrupt in different ways. And, um, and as a result, we are now in Qatar. We will be in Qatar. And I think this team, this team will, they will perform. You know, most of them are young. Most of them are really young. That, in a way, is is where it, it fell away in the, in the penalty shootout. Is even though these were the best penalty takers in the team, maybe they weren't the right penalty takers. And no matter how much science you apply, and statistics, and regression analysis, in the end, it doesn't matter if you scored three out of the three penalties you've taken for Man United. That does not prepare you 
for taking a penalty against one of the best goalkeepers in the world, against one of the best teams in the world, in the very last kicks of the first final that England have been to in 55 years. That is not about technique anymore. That is about balls. And I'm sorry, those young lads, their balls, maybe they haven't dropped fully yet. They will. But if you look at the difference between Harry Kane, who had a god-awful match, god-awful match, and had missed his last penalty, and Harry Maguire, who probably no one really thought was a penalty taker, and you look at what they did, just no, no fear. Walk up, wallop. And then those three lads who have more talent probably in their little finger than most of us have in our entire bodies and extended families' bodies, they, they didn't handle it. They tried to be clever and cute. They tried to use their technique and they had fear and you could see it. You could see it in their faces. And the problem is they were too brave to admit that they were scared. Maybe next time they won't be. Come on, England. Yes, good evening. And certainly British football spirits need to be raised after that England draw against Morocco last night.